Thank you for listening to Elohim Christian Church's podcast. We're a place where imperfect people worship and meet a perfect God. If this is your first time listening, we're located in Richmond Hill in Queens, New York City, and are led by pastors Carlos and Rebecca Medina. If you're looking for a place to worship and to know Jesus, we would love to meet you and see you in person. Find us online at www.elohimchurch.org so we can connect. And now, here's this week's message. For this morning, once again, we greet all the fathers. Man, we're excited. Father's Day, I woke up. I had a few gift bags on the table. Father's Day is pretty cool. And the fathers say, I mean, I've been kind of juicing it since yesterday. We went out to eat. I'm like, it's Father's Day. Where are we going to eat? Out the side. Um, it's just a fun time. And we're thankful for family. Um, we honor all our fathers. Maybe if you've lost your father and this is a sad moment for you, we pray comfort for you. But we also have a blessed hope that one day we'll see them again. We honor our single moms and our single dads that are leading their families in a special way. We honor you here as well today. We know who you are. We bless you. And we are inspired and encouraged by you. And we're thankful. We're thankful for what God is doing. And today on Father's Day, we got a special guest preacher uh, Pastor Omar, we met some years ago. Pastor Omar pastored right here in the Queens, Brooklyn area for years. Um, and he transitioned to Florida and he transitioned the church to, a, to, a, to another family to pastor it. And sometime later, the family kind of drove him back and uh, was helping them with the transition of the church. And the church needed to make some transitions. And Pastor Omar was like, hey, our church families need to make some transition. I got a good church for you. And he recommended Elohim for those families. Isn't that awesome? And and we're so thankful for his partnership, his friendship. I know that he has many friends here at ECC. We spoke a few weeks ago, and he says, hey, I'm going to be worshiping with you uh, on Father's Day. And I was like, well, you just won't worship with us. Come and preach. Um, and we're so thankful he resides in the state of Florida. He is a minister of his church, and we're honored that he's here today. Help me welcome him, Pastor Omar Edwards. I work in IT, but I am technically handicapped. So, man, it is a pleasure to be here this wonderful and beautiful morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Amen. Glory to God. To those of you who do God's work, who are priests and shepherds of your homes, priests and shepherds of your families, I bless you this morning. We pray for you this morning. We encourage you this morning. Um, and I made sure today, I said, you know what, it's Father's Day. I've been in many Father's Day services. A preacher comes and he bashes the fathers. That will not happen today, I promise you. Culture does that enough. Society does that enough. I bless you, fathers. And I encourage you, fathers, to be men, to be men of God, to be men of character, and to continue doing God's work in your homes and in your communities. Hallelujah. Um, just... On behalf of my wife and my family, they say hello. Michelle is my wife. They're in Florida. I, I was, I'm here for a wedding. Um, and so uh, just they said hello. They wanted, they, they wanted to send a hug and a kiss to the church. And so uh, please receive that. And on behalf of uh, my senior pastor, uh, Pastor Russell, um, and uh, the McGregor Baptist Church in uh, Fort Myers, uh, please receive their also warm blessings. Uh, they're praying for us here today. Um, and so they, they, they wanted us to commend you guys as well. So um, let's get into it. Let's, we're, we're here to share the word of God. So let's open up to Psalm 22. 
And Psalm 22 is a long psalm, so I'm not going to read it in one shot. I just, I'm going to ask that you keep your Bibles open as we run through the psalm. Praise the living God. And we're going to begin, as, you, as we open up to Psalm 22, we're going to open up with a word of prayer. Lord, we are thankful. We're grateful to you, Lord, for what your son, Jesus Christ, did for us on the cross of Calvary. We're thankful, Lord, because as sinners, Lord, we separated, we were separate from you, distant from you, so far away from, Lord, your holiness and righteousness. But you, Lord, made a way when there was no way. Lord, you opened doors that could not be opened, Lord, and you rescued us. You took us out from the miry clay, Lord, and you put our feet upon the rock and you gave us a new song. Lord, and through the life and death, Lord, uh, and through, the, Lord, the resurrection of your son, Lord, we are here today. We are saved by his grace, by your love, Lord, and by your mercy. And so we thank you. We ask that you open up our hearts, our minds, Lord, and that you lead us to where you need us to be. Lord, that you give us the word, Lord, that is necessary, Lord, and that, Lord, we may hear it, Lord, and it may, Lord, dwell in us, and it may be blessed and effective in each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. And I'm thankful for this opportunity, Pastor Carlos. Um, God is good. All right, Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. What does that mean? The psalm that takes the experience of the psalmist and prophetically points to Christ, to the Messiah. So that's basically what a messianic psalm is. And in Psalm 22, it takes the experience of King David when he is betrayed by his son, when he's betrayed by some of his best friends, some of his closest counselors. He is hurt by the people he most love. And he takes those expressions, and in a moment of inspiration by the Holy Spirit, he starts to write this song, Psalm 22. This psalm is the clearest prophetic description of Jesus' human experience in the crucifixion. There is no other psalm that tells you in detail the experience of what Jesus passed more than this one. And, and this psalm is also classified, and this I'll get into in a minute, it's classified as a remez. We'll talk about that a little later. But let's start with Matthew, uh, with, with uh, Psalm 22, verses 1 through 6. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. So I'm going to talk to you today about two stories. First, I'm going to give you the story of a son forsaken. And secondly, we're going to talk about a father who absolutely does not forsake us. Two stories and then three truths. Praise God. So let's start with the son who was forsaken. First thing we see, and we see, we're going to see Jesus' experience, a son who was forsaken. And we find that he suffered several things, but the first that I want to discuss is abandonment. He starts with a forsaken cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
It is a cry, a desperate cry, a cry of pain, a cry of suffering. It is a cry of loneliness. It is a cry recognizing or believing that he was alone. We see this evident in Matthew 26, Matthew 27, verse 46 on the cross of Calvary. Jesus about to die at the end of his life. He screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the lonely feeling. But Jesus was God. How could he possibly be lonely? Jesus was God. How could he possibly be forsaken by his father? Jesus was not only, though, 100% God, he was 100% man. And on that cross, he did not only experience it divinely, he experienced it humanly. And in his humanity, with the nails in his hands, and the nails in his feet, and the stripes on his side and back, and the crown of thorns over his head, as he hung naked and humiliated and ashamed on the cross of Calvary, he, as a human being, felt distant from God. Why? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 tells us why it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was perfect. He lived a perfect life of obedience. He lived a perfect life of righteousness. But on the cross of Calvary, he became sin for us. Jesus had never experienced that until Calvary. He had never understood the impact of sin on human nature until Calvary. And what does sin do to us? Sin immediately brings separation from God. Sin immediately brings us distant from God. Sin immediately brings us, extends a gap between his holiness and our sinfulness. And he on that cross, while he had never sinned, he took on the sin of all humanity, past, present, and future. Hallelujah. I repeat that. All sin of all humanity, past, present, and future. Man, I can barely deal with my own. Correction. I cannot deal with my own on my own. Hallelujah. It is an impossibility. Me dealing with my own sin and being victorious. Somebody had to get in the way. Somebody had to take that responsibility from me. Someone had to take that risk from me. Someone had to take away the, 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 the perfect obedience that I required to have under God's law. And he did it. And he did it. And he said, here, I obeyed God for you. Now I take the sin for you as well. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. We are so far from God without the love of Jesus. And so Jesus felt that sin. He felt that sin upon him like never before. And for the first time as a man, he said, what is this? What is this? He understood what Paul said in Romans 3. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, distant, away, space. What is this? And thus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
for the first time he felt that infinite distance that we are all too familiar with. That abandonment that we are all too familiar with. How many times have we felt abandoned? How many times have we felt distant from God? Distant from his loving grace? Lord, I messed up again today. A couple days go by, I think I got it straight, and then, oh man, Pastor Carlos, I messed up again today. And oh man, another week goes by, and oh, I messed up again today. So why even bother? Why even try? Why even make an effort because I am so far from God? We don't make the effort because we can get ourselves close to him. We make the effort because he is with us every day, every moment, every second of time. He is by our side. And every time we fall, he extends his hand in love and mercy. And he tells us we are not alone. Some of us have been abandoned by people we love by fathers who were not priests and shepherds, by loved ones, by spouses, by other people. Some of us feel abandoned because someone left us too early or too soon. But God went through this abandonment to understand it, to let us know that he understands, and to let us know that he is with us. Verses 7 and on. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet who are he who took me from the womb and you made me trust you at my mother's breasts? On you I was cast from birth in my mother's womb, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. But not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out, of are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. But I can count all my bones, and they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is in synthesis, what they did to Jesus. What do they do to Jesus? Well, verses 7 and 8 and 12 and 13 tell us they mocked him. They laughed at him. We see this in, in Mark 15, verses 29 and 32. Same words. They shook their heads. They wagged their heads and they mocked him. We see in verses 9 and 11. We see the story of his incarnation prophesied and his suffering prophesied. When the angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Verses 14 and 17 tells us that even though he suffered and he was beaten and he was hung from a tree, that his bones are not broken. They tell us a story of when Jesus was dead. They pierced his side and water and blood flew, flowed from his side. Verses 15 and 16 tell us the story that we hear in John. That Jesus was dehydrated. Suffering, needing of help, his thirst on the cross tells us about his hands that were pierced and his feet that were nailed to the cross. Verse 18 tells us about the humiliation that Jesus suffered, the nakedness. Do you know on the cross of Calvary, he wasn't like you see on the pictures. 
One very humiliating aspect of, 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 of the crucifixion is that when they brought you out with the slab of wood that you were going to die on, they stripped you naked and paraded you in front of the town to humiliate you, to march you on in your nakedness. And Jesus took that humiliation on. He took on that embarrassment. He took on that shame. Why? So that we would not have to suffer. That suffering was for us. You see, on that cross of Calvary, in that process, he suffered the fullness of God's wrath poured upon him that he did not deserve, but that we deserved. Lo, doesn't matter if I haven't killed anyone. It doesn't matter if I have not been unfaithful to a spouse. It doesn't matter if I haven't robbed or if I haven't stolen or I'm not a serial liar. It doesn't matter. The smallest sin before the eyes of God is enough to condemn us to a life of eternity in hell, to a life of eternity in judgment. But Jesus Christ took that suffering. He, was a, he felt that abandonment and he took that suffering. Why? So that you and I, oh, praise God, so that you and I would miss that. So that God would miss us with that. That would go to someone who did not place his faith in Jesus, but you and I, when receiving Jesus as our Savior, we say, Lord, I recognize that you suffered and took what was mine that I surely deserve. Let's not get it twisted. We deserve that. Each and every one of us here, from the pulpit to the last pew, we are deserving of God's holy wrath. Isaiah 53, 10. Listen to this. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Some translations say, and it pleased God to crush him. What? You can check with your pastor. That verse is in the Bible. It pleased God. What does that mean? He was sitting there clapping his hands. Were Hercules, Hercules. No. But it fulfilled God's will. It pleases God when his will is fulfilled. It pleases God that when he says something happens, he is pleased. And since the beginning of time, he set into motion a plan to save his people, to save his chosen church, to save the ones that would come to him and the ones that would call him Savior and Lord and King. He set it into plan. And on the cross of Calvary, with all the suffering and all the wrath, he was pleased because though he sacrificed his only begotten son, he made a way to save every single other. Hallelujah. God was not, not, was not just looking at one man on the cross. He was looking at all humanity that needed a savior. Come on, praise him with me this morning. There is no greater message of hope. There is no greater message of truth than to understand that God's wrath has missed me. Woo! Hallelujah! Ezekiel 18 tells us the soul who sins shall die. 
I don't need to explain that, do I? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is? I don't need to explain that, do I? We've suffered, though. This life is not without suffering. This life is not without pain. I've suffered. Have you suffered? But he suffered so that our suffering would be temporary. He suffered so that our suffering would have an expiration date. He suffered so that we could see the light at the end of the tunnel. He suffered so that we could recognize that God is working for his glory and for our good. He suffered so that we could understand what it says in 2 Corinthians for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We spend so much time focused on the here and now. We spend time focusing on my issues of today. We spend time focusing on my daily sufferings. And we lose sight of our eternal glory that we have been promised. We lose sight of the hope that has been given and promised to us by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Oh, our suffering is real. Your suffering, I don't want to diminish your suffering. I'm not trying to diminish, in your, to diminish your pain. You got it. I get it. But guess what? He gets it too. And he suffered so that we could understand that one day we will suffer no more that one day we will cry no more that one day there will be no more hurt no more pain because we will be with him in glory we've seen the abandonment we've seen suffering the next six verses show us the despair of the forsaken son but you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And I will tell of your name to my brothers. And in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offering of Jacob, offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all of you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. This doesn't sound like despair. Oh, but it is. The cross of Calvary, Jesus cried out three times. He cried out three times. First, he cried out for forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lastly, he cries out to God and says, God, in your hands, I commend my spirit. The second one, he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a cry of despair. It is a cry of pain. 
Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard. He remembered that in despair, we are to cry out to God. I want to make that clear. In despair, we are to cry out to God. This is most relevant to you this year, the year of prayer here at Elohim. We are to cry out to God. Psalm 18.6 says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. Psalm 34.4 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Two verses later, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from out of all his troubles. We are to cry out to God in despair. God has given us the blessing of despair. You did not hear me wrong. He has given us the blessing of despair. Because oftentimes, that is what it takes. Sometimes that's what it takes. It takes God to drag us through life. For us to remember that he is there. It takes God to drag us through circumstances so that we can remember, oh, I have somewhere to go. Hello. When I've lost all help, when I've lost all resource, I have no one to go to and nowhere to go. I remember, man, God help me. We have nowhere to go. God is listening. We have nowhere to go. God is there. The blessing of despair. Verses 25 through 30, faithfulness. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. We see the blessing of understanding that God is present in all circumstances. We see the blessing of remembrance. (laughs) Blessing of remembrance, it is a blessing to remember what God has done. The Bible tells us 170 times to remember. 170 times, remember, 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 remember what he has done. And also leads us to the blessing of repentance. Because by the time we've gone to God at that point, we know where we stand. (laughs) We know that we're broken and in need of a rescuer broken and in need of a savior, broken and in need of help that we cannot get from any other source. And that suffering and that despair leads us to faithfulness. And finally, victory. Verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. 
he has done it. Jesus says it in a very different way, or in a very similar way, excuse me, in John 19.30. When you take that from the Old Testament and translate it into the New Testament Greek, it is translated as, it is finished. The work of God for our salvation has been done. All the redemptive work has been put in place. Jesus did it. He finished it. So that we would not have to do what we cannot. So that we could come to him freely. So that we could lay our sins on the altar and receive his forgiveness. So that we could come crawling hands and knees in humbleness and repentance and leave our shame at the feet of the cross so he can dress us in honor, so he can dress us in glory, so he can dress us in beauty, and he can dress us in righteousness. It is finished. All that waits is for us to say, Lord, I am a sinner and I need a savior. I am a sinner and I need you. What Jesus did on the cross was enough. My sin is big, but his grace is bigger. Our adulteries were big, but guess what? His grace is bigger. Our deceptions were big, but his grace is bigger. Everything we've done, some awful, terrible stuff, home destroying, life destroying, time destroying stuff, but nonetheless, his grace is bigger. Hello, hallelujah. And that's the story of us unforsaken. Let's look at the story of a God who does not forgive us for that, forsake us in about seven minutes. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Number one, the story of a father who does not forsake us when God is unchanging. Malachi 3, 6 says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Number two, God is one. Very quickly and very clearly, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is. But, Genesis 1.26. In creation, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So he is one, but huh, there's more. How much more? Well, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word, so Jesus is God. But then in John 10, 30, Jesus clears that up, and he says, I and the Father are, <laughs> so I, I would present to you the case that Jesus' humanity said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he felt the distance of sin. But I will also present to you that God did not leave Jesus alone for one second because he and the Jesus are. Third, God is with us always. John 14, 16, 18 says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees or knows him, 
You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He will be with us forever. It was God's plan from the beginning in Genesis. He created Eden so that he could walk among them. And then later after sin, he created the tabernacle so his presence could be within them. And then later he presents the temple, all right, in Solomon. And he fills that temple so that no one could enter. And in there his presence was felt. And then later on after that was insufficient. He sends Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God is with us, so that he could walk among us and provide us salvation. And then after that, he goes to the Father, and several days later, he sends down the Holy Spirit to be a greater revelation to us now as believers, as God in us. And one day when we go to glory, we will be in the fullness and the glory and the fullness of the presence of God forever. That's what he wants. That's what he's always desired. He will never leave his children. He will never leave his bride. He loves us and he is with us forever and ever and ever and ever. And to close, I started telling you Psalm 22 was a remez. Remez is the type of psalm that requires, that invites participation. It goes something like this. God is good all the time. See, with those two expressions, I expected a response from you. And it's been trained in us, those expressions. Where there were psalms, Remezes, remez translates to the word hint in Hebrew. And there were psalms that were hints to the people, and they would know what the response is, and they would know the body of that psalm, and they would understand the language in it. Notice Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very words in the beginning of the psalm which should have created a response, but he says it in Aramaic. He does not say the words in the Hebrew which they would have read in the temple, though they would not have understood. Then he would have understood the psalm and what it said. That would have been the extent of their use of the Hebrew at that time. It was a dead language. But he says that line in Aramaic. Why? They laughed. They didn't get it. They didn't hear the remez. But in this psalm, Psalm 22, in this remez, in what he expected them to know, he expected them to understand that he called those around them bulls and dogs and animals that were trying to get him. And he was explaining to those around him. He was letting them understand that he was invoking the remez. He was invoking Psalm 22. He was bringing them to the passage where they would know that even through all that suffering, even through that abandonment, even through that despair, and even that cry out of faithfulness, that God would not forsake him. He wanted them to understand that he was there for a reason, and that at the end, he could look up and say those words, it is finished. Oh, praise the Lord. Jesus was not forsaken by the Father. Jesus was sending a message to them and sending a message to us and letting us know that this truly is the story of a God who does not forsake us. To close, three truths. God did not forsake his son. Truth number two, God will never forsake us. And truth number three, God teaches us in this.
to not forsake one another. The Son lived a forsaken life to show us that the Father did not and does not and will not forsake us. But the key here, the application here is that we should not forsake others. There are many that need to hear the Word of God. Don't forsake them. Fathers, I encourage you, your children, those who you're responsible for, do not forsake them. Be shepherds and priests and do the work of God. People of God, love one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another. For that's the work that God has called us to. This time, first, someone needs Jesus. This is a gospel message, first and foremost. Someone needs Jesus. Someone says, I'm, I'm, in, I'm at that point where I'm in despair and I'm broken. I need to cry out to someone who can hear me, someone who can understand. My God, it speaks all languages. He speaks the language of pain and suffering very well. He speaks, he understands, and he redeems the language of sin very well. So the altar is open. If anyone knows they're a sinner in need of a savior, I know a guy. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because we are not forsaken. We thank you, Lord, because Jesus paid it all. He paid the price so that we would not have to. He paid the price, Lord, so that we would be free to come before him simply with a contrite heart, with a broken spirit, but with a mind ready, Lord, to repent, to come to you, Lord. So I ask that anyone here who does not know you, Lord, they may come to you. Me, Lord, take this moment and reflect. Lord, we ask for those who feel abandoned, whether, Lord, someone left by choice or by nature. We pray for them. That you fill, Lord, the hearts that you give joy and peace and comfort to those who currently feel that abandonment, suffering, and despair. That you, Lord, be a blessing unto them and that they may feel your embrace and your presence in this world. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that it blesses and encourages your life.